Hello and welcome to the pilot episode of the Meaningful Learning Podcast by Coconut Thinking. I am your host, Dr. Benjamin Freud. Today we will explore the disconnect between learning and grades and how we should rethink assessment to reflect what matters, which is not necessarily represented in a quantifiable score. I am your host, Dr. Benjamin Freud. I'm a learner first, a historian by background, and a reform consultant, and the father of two wonderful children, Nico and Alexia, aged 13 and 10 respectively, who are wonderfully creative and challenging in their own beautiful ways. Today we're gonna to talk about learning and how students can best apply their learning and how we can capture what that learning means. I'm gonna start off with a story of one day, uh, I was speaking to a group of students and we were discussing what learning was. And I asked them point blank, what does learning mean to you? How do you know that you are learning? And more than a couple students, responded by saying, well, we know we're learning if we get good grades. We know we're learning if we get high test scores. And a part of me died inside because these students thought that they could demonstrate their learning by getting high grades. This completely extrinsic measure of their mastery, which may or may not be reflective of what they will ever use in the world, in their lives, in their present even. And so if we break down an exam or a test, be it a unit test or an IGCSE or an IB or a final or whatever it might be, uh, the concept is always the same. The students are exposed to a certain amount of material, a certain type of material, and they are told to review um, the material between, say, chapters 7 and 12 or um, you know, the second part of algebra or whatever it might be. And on the test day, they are given sheets with questions that cover the material that they have been given, but the exact form of question, the, 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 the specifics of the question will be unknown to them. And so within a timed environment where they only have 45 minutes, an hour, two hours, three hours, whatever it might be, they are asked to complete the question sets and are assessed based on their level of uh, precision and the accuracy for the test. This is done alone as an individual task where they are not able to refer to their notes or any other kind of help other than maybe perhaps a calculator. If it's a history essay or an English essay, it is qualitative in, in, in large ways uh, in terms of how the grade happens. If it's math, it's a lot easier to make it a binary right or wrong answer, although you might get partial credits if you've made some kind of silly mistake. But there aren't many places where exams are given or you are assessed in a time setting all by yourself and have to demonstrate your mastery or or. Uh, uh, manipulation of certain material that you're not aware of in, in a way that gives you a metric uh, against which you're going to be evaluating your performance is going to stick with you for years and years. In the professional world, you are coming to work with colleagues and you are all supposedly working for a common purpose, a common vision of the company or the school or whatever it might be. And it is a collaborative effort. It is a social effort and your contributions to the company, the school, the hospital, wherever you work, are measured based on the tasks that you're given, the problems that you solve, the creativity that you bring, the social dynamics uh, that you contribute to, and so forth. It's a collaborative effort. Schools have mission and purpose and vision, but how much of those do the students actually participate in, or, or how much are they 
trying to meet those objectives. The teachers might, the community might, the board might, but the students, is it their purpose and their vision to contribute to providing an environment of lifelong learning and globally minded citizens or whatever it is that the school's mission vision is? Does that mean anything to them? The point is that these tests are completely artificial. These tests that the students get in class, in schools, are not representative of the learning, do not measure their learning, because learning cannot be measured. Going back to what Seymour Saracen said, and, and when he asked the question, what is learning, he postulated that learning is, is a social experience, and it is dependent on context, it is dependent on motivation, it is dependent on mood, it is dependent on the deliverer of learning, the experience that the learner goes through, if that is something that stimulates them, and therefore, it is a process that has so many variables that it doesn't make sense to take a snapshot of learning based on an exam that's given on a certain day. More to the point, if we think about exams, if we think about assessments in terms of whether or not they are summative or formative, this poses even greater problems and, and, and questions arise that make us wonder how do we even think that we can assess learning? And let me let me go back a little bit to what formative and summative assessments are for those listeners out there who may not be in education. So let's think, for instance, about a parent teaching a child how to tie their shoe. Uh, happens every parent does this, and there is an assessment if the parent knows this or not. It, it happens. So let me show you how to tie a shoe and show you different different ways. And then you ask the child to tie their shoe, and, and if they succeed, fantastic, you have assessed the child's ability to tie the shoe. And if in three weeks they still know how to tie it, then, then you know that they've mastered that skill. When you ask the child to tie the shoe and they kind of don't get it, that is a formative assessment. You are assessing for learning. Oh, no, 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 don't do it this way. Do another buckle to tie, you know, loop it around one more time. This is a formative assessment. There's no grade, there is just a parent evaluating whether or not a child has understood how to tie a shoe, and if not, more explanations are given and maybe another strategy or whatever it might be. A summative assessment is those traditional exams that we think about, an IGCSE exam, an IB exam, a final exam at the end of the semester in the American system. They provide you with a grade, whatever that might be, that goes uh, along with other marks that you might have had that puts on your transcript or your report card or your results, uh, depending on, on your context, and that is your score, your quantified score of learning. The problem with this is that if learning is contextual, if learning is a social experience, this doesn't necessarily work, not just because of the artificial context that tests represent where you're sat on a desk to ask to answer questions, but more to the point of what learning is. You know that learning happens when there is a change of behavior based on an experience. That is the definition that I propose. A child goes to a stove, burns her hand, and you know she will have learned not to touch the hot stove if she no longer wants or tries to put her hand in the fire. You know that learning did not happen if the next day she tries it again. The changed behavior is the learning. It is not the experience. So while you can have a summative assessment on putting your hand on a stove, it is the behavior that changed 
that tells you if there's learning. And you cannot put a time frame around that change in behavior. For instance, I am still applying stuff that I learned when I was seven. I am still applying stuff that I learned and experiences that I've gone through when I was 30. It is continuous. Now these things have changed and other experiences and other contexts have maybe molded my learning and changed my behaviors altogether. And dialectically, it's gone into a pot and, and made me the person that I am today. But I am the result of all my experiences and my learning doesn't stop. The only way your learning stops is if they don't move and you don't act and you don't do and you don't think and you don't see. If you are in a coma, then you don't have any learning, but otherwise it doesn't stop. So the idea of having summative learning, this snapshot, this photograph on a certain day of what you have learned and the mastery and saying that that is what you have achieved doesn't make sense. More to the point, it shouldn't make sense because we want learning to be reflective. We want there to be reiterations. We want there to be um, experiences that add to the pot. We want mastery to continue to deepen. And so we want to think about learning as a dynamic, continuous process, which doesn't make sense for us to assess it summatively. It only makes sense for us to assess it formatively. So why do we have grades? Well, we have grades because it makes us feel safe. That's the thing about university applications. You can go through um, a kid's test scores and you can look at their grades and you say, oh, this is a good student. This is not a good student. But even stepping back on that process, we need to understand why universities select who they select. Universities accept students from high school who they think will be able to move on from that university and get great jobs or do something that gets them noticed or somehow bring uh, a favorable image to the university. If I go to ABC University and I become CEO of Goldman Sachs, if I go to ABC University and I cure cancer or I am able to um, you know, grow um, some kind of special hydroponic organic superfood, that reflects well on the university. Universities don't care in themselves how well a student does within the context unless, of course, it contributes to the learning of others who themselves go out and do better things. Universities want students, their graduates, to go on and do wonderful things to represent um, their university as well and, and build the brand, which means that when they go through the application and selection process of high school kids, they are thinking about who will best represent the school in favorable ways after they leave university. They are in many ways um, a third party of trying to say, okay, we'll take you in, we'll, we'll, we'll give you an education, and then we'll, we'll, we'll send you off. And so GPAs, IB scores, A-level scores, provide some kind of quantifiable metrics for universities to be able to say, yes, this person will succeed once they, they leave university. It also, to a large extent, uh, provides this veil of objectivity that certain people are accepted because they've got higher grades. They've got a 3.9 GPA as opposed to a 3.5 GPA, which allows the university to insure itself against questions that could be posed against it. Why did this child get selected over somebody else? You've got a score that is black or white, whether or not uh, it meets within the range of, uh, of acceptable scores. Of course, the issue is that we have to ask ourselves, is a GPA, is an A-level score the best measure of success? What is success? And that's probably a topic for another podcast. The point is that there are so many 
aspects of success that don't measure into grades. And, and again, this, you know, there are many authors and many people who post on LinkedIn and journal articles and, and, and so forth who, can, who, who have explored this, so I don't want to go over old ground. What I would like to propose is an idea that changes the way we think about assessment, it changes the way we think about how to assess learning, changes the way that we approach units to make it so that kids are able to experience their learning in ways that have an impact on themselves, others, and the world. And I'd like to take something from what was originally in the software world, but then went into other private um, uh, industries uh, and is not necessarily uh, something that is in the world of education so much, but but here's here's what I suggest. Have you ever been on your computer and suddenly a window pops up and asks you how likely you would be to recommend that piece of software and you're given a choice of scores between zero and 10? Or perhaps you were at the car rental agency and they ask you the same thing, how likely would you be to recommend uh, the car service from zero to 10? They're trying to measure what is called a net promoter score or NPS. And a net promoter score is really trying to gauge a customer's loyalty to a particular brand. It is more effective than a customer satisfaction survey because when you are asked whether or not you would recommend a particular product, you're putting your name out there and you would not recommend something and have your name be out there unless you really believed in the product. Whereas a customer satisfaction survey might be, yeah, that was pretty good, you know, not bad, but, but you wouldn't actually uh, uh, stake your, your name behind uh, the product. But what if we took the concept of net promoter scores and brought it to a classroom? So that for instance, if you have a product or performance or some kind of outcome from a unit, you had the people who experienced that product or outcome give a score of whether or not they would recommend it. What this would do is it would take authentic tasks to the next level because it is no longer about meeting a rubric. It is no longer meeting about certain standards that were decided beforehand. It is about whether or not the product or performance had impact on its audience. Let me step back a little bit. In any project where you are given standards or expectations, and I'm talking about uh, in the professional world, uh, you're certainly you're looking for objectives. You can get that at the beginning, these specifications, but chances are that they will change or rather the product that you initially envisioned changed because you are going through some kind of agile process. That is, you have your initial specifications, you go through it, you realize that you can do something a little bit better or there's a wrinkle or there's for some reason you can't uh, uh, do it exactly the same way and you change it and you have a product by the end or a service that might be different from what you envisioned before. But that's okay because all that matters is whether or not your final outcome satisfies your customer and more to the point if it has an impact on their customer and more to the point if we look at NPS, whether or not they would recommend it. And it does not matter necessarily what your specifications were beforehand. So why do we provide rubrics and specifications to students at the beginning of a unit and allow very little room, if any, for agile changes in that product to meet the needs? Sometimes we do, all too often we don't. What if we started thinking about the performance or the outcome in terms of the impact it had on others and oneself? Let's think of a play, for instance. A play is recommended to others based on 
the experience and, and the joy that the spectator felt, whether or not they thought it was deep, whether or not it touched them emotionally, whatever it might be. The same can be said of a simple machine. If you have a simple machine as your outcome that you learned during physics and it solves a problem, people would recommend it saying, yes, it's, it's aesthetically pleasing, it solves a problem, it's easy to use and so forth. They would recommend that. What doesn't make sense is keeping these products and, and outcomes and performances hermetically sealed inside the classroom. There's a big push to have project-based learning or problem-based learning or challenge-based learning, whatever it might be called, that has, um, uh, by definition, uh, a public performance or something where the product is on display for people outside of the classroom. And, and I think that's wonderful. And there's so much interest in this, in this area. We can only be encouraged by it. But in itself, it's not enough. It is not enough to give um, a, a representation, a performance to an audience. We have to see what the impact is on that audience. I'm thinking, for instance, of a PBL unit where the students are trying to convince uh, the school board, let's say, to have more vegetarian food at the cafeteria. And part of their performance is to give a speech to the board and they have certain uh, outlined expectations, a rubric, they have certain standards that they're supposed to meet in order to have the speech present evidence, uh, speak eloquently, hold the speaker's eyes, whatever it may be. But ultimately, the speech means nothing if there is no impact on the audience. Yes, they can have all of the evidence they need to back up their points, but unless they are able to have impact that is influence the board in such a way as to have more vegetarian dishes at the cafeteria, the speech means very little. And yes, there could be external circumstances why that can happen, but those aside, it is the effect that our actions have on others that really matters. I can think of so many units where there has been a final product, but really the product has just stayed within the classroom and nothing of that product, of its usefulness, of its attractiveness, of the way it changes people's lives was ever measured. And so what does the product mean? The product doesn't even exist in many ways. I mean, it does, but as soon as it's shoved into the book bag and forgotten later on, it doesn't exist because it will be forgotten. It will be something that the student experienced but has had no impact in the world. So what if we redesigned our units to think about the impact that our students can have on themselves, on others, and the world? What if we created units that had for ultimate purpose to have an NPS score? Let me illustrate what I'm thinking here. What if we had a gardening unit? Now, gardening units are wonderful. It gets kids outside. There's a lot of science involved, social studies. You can do math, service area, cost, uh, income. Uh, you can do art in the way that you um, decorate and, 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 and construct the garden itself. There, there, there's so many benefits to, to gardening units. What if we thought of the gardening unit not in itself just to learn about how plants grow and whether or not the shade you know, helps growth as opposed to the sunlight or the opposite and, and, and those kinds of measures, but what if we thought about the impact that growing those vegetables has on the community? It's not just about who can grow a tomato, all that's very useful, but it's about whether or not the customers or the people who receive and consume the food enjoyed it and whether or not they would recommend those vegetables and fruits. What that would lead to is an NPS score of let's say 68. I'm, I'm giving an example here. Let's say the students had a 68 
NPS score. How will they change their gardening experience and product to get it to a 72 or a 75 or an 87? How can they rethink and improve the garden to get a higher NPS score? This is where the iteration, the reiteration, the re-reiteration, the reimagination, the whatever you want to call it comes into play. This is where reflection comes into play. This is where learning is applied. Because when you have an NPS score of 68 and you dissect the reasons for that through, say, surveys or whatever it might be afterwards to understand where the people are coming from, you're able to go back to the garden and apply your learning to make it a better and more impactful experiences for your customers. And ultimately, even if you are the customer or the consumer, you want to reflect on how you can make the experience that you have produced better. So the process isn't discarded. I'm not saying that it's all about outcome. I'm saying that within the experience, there is a process that you go through that you learn but the reiteration that is involved in having an NPS score where you go back to your learning is where the learning is applied and the behaviors are changed. You're still taking everything that you know about gardening with the plants and the growth and the roots and the water and the area and so forth, and, and, and you are applying that to get a high NPS score that is to have an impact, to have an outcome that matters. And then you're going back to the process to perfect it, and that's where the learning happens. If you think about this in terms of the professional world, the first time you complete a task or a project, you will receive feedback from that, which is in effect the impact that it has had on your client, be that your boss or you're a paying customer, whatever it might be, and you apply the learning you have from that feedback onto the next project, or perhaps the same one if, if it's uh, given back to you to, to, to tweak. It is a more realistic process, a more realistic experience, and it is one where the students are even more engaged and empowered because they are looking towards making an impact and, and, and satisfying and, and having their outcome, their production, their whatever it might be, recommended by the user. This is a completely different way of thinking in the sense that it takes authentic tasks to the next level and building a process there where we're, we're externalizing the learning rather than keeping it internal. And so where this takes us back in terms of the assessment of learning is that we're no longer thinking about learning as an individual experience, but we are socializing learning. We're working as teams. And everything that is complex about this process, we are going to acknowledge that it is complex and have peer reviews and think about the project as an entity in itself. It is no longer about summative assessment. It is about working closely with the students formatively to see how they can improve in terms of their performance and how their learning, their mastery of the content can be deepened and broadened based on the process that is involved in producing this performance that will be evaluated for impact. The learning is applied. The learning is measured in terms of impact, but not necessarily in terms of uh, an exam or anything like that. It is the full creativity, collaboration, and output of the students to change something in themselves, in others, in the world, in whatever it might be. That will make a complete change in education because we're starting to think about 
learning as an experience that does not stop, that cannot be measured by a score in for the learner, but rather a score for the product, not a score as a grade of what you know, which is extrinsic, which is subjective in the sense that uh, it's whatever the teacher decides to test on that day. It is about the real effect of a product and how that makes a difference. This is what I suggest that we start thinking about the idea of having this NPS score as means of, um, uh, of, of measuring the application of learning since we cannot measure learning in itself. But what we're doing here is looking at behaviors and we are looking at how that learning has made a difference. Now, the question could be posed, what if learning is a purely personal experience? I mean, we talk about learning as a social experience and you do learn within a social context, but sometimes you do things just for yourself. If I want to write that book, if I want to paint uh, something that's on a canvas, it doesn't necessarily mean that I have to ask others what they think. I could just be doing it for myself and that's okay. We just have to think about NPS, not as a measurable score, but the concept of the reflection of how that has impacted me as a writer, me as a human being, me as the person who has an emotion from painting. That is the reflection piece. Again, not a quantifiable score. How can you grade art? How can you grade writing if I am using it as a way to express myself and it brings me pleasure? Are you going to grade me based on the pleasure that it brings me? I write short stories. Are you going to grade me based on the growth that I am experiencing socio-emotionally, personally, in my relationships based on the cathartic nature and, and, and results of my writing, it doesn't make any sense. But we can do it in terms of reflection. So this allows us to get away completely from grades and think about how we have skills that come together in order to um, reach this performance or this outcome that has impact. Now, the Mastery Transcript Consortium, um, if you guys don't know what the what the Mastery Transcript Consortium is, I highly suggest that you look it up. It is um, an organization that was formed several years ago uh, at the behest of some of the United States' uh, most powerful, independent, and, and most prestigious independent schools that say, hey, we've had enough with grades. We've had enough with stress of students. We've had enough with grade inflation. We don't believe in this system. Let's think about a different way to present our students to universities. And so there are a list of competencies that the Mastery Transcript Consortium is allowing each school to develop, but the process is the same, that these are going to be more um, soft skills, which are now should be called real skills or essential skills or whatever you want to call them, but things like collaboration, creativity, uh, the ability to communicate, to influence, to um, uh, be part of a team and so forth, but also um, data analysis, numeracy, literacy. And when the student feels that they have demonstrated mastery of a certain competence, they present evidence of this to a panel from the school who says yes or no. And then on the transcript, that particular box is colored. You need a certain amount of colored boxes to graduate. And of course, you can go above and beyond by showing that you are mastering these um, exceptionally sophisticated competencies. That goes graphically to 
the university uh, through uh, an app that has also evidence of, of mastery. And this is a way to show that when you accept a student to university, he or she has shown competency, a certain level of competency in teamwork or collaboration or whatever it might be. This is a lot more indicative in my opinion and a lot more realistic than having a grade that summarizes learning because let's face it, an A in algebra is not the same in Stanford, Connecticut as it is in Billings, Montana. They have different curricula. They have different expectations. They have different experiences. In fact, even across the hall in that school in Stanford, Connecticut, it might not be the same A. Yet we are still fettered by this idea of GPA and essentializing everything, reducing everything to a score. So the Mastery Transcript Consortium is trying to go beyond that uh, and present these competencies now, what if we had a world where we had these competencies presented to universities as well as a portfolio of achievement and of impact in the world that's presented to, to the, the admissions officers? Now, you might tell me, oh, they don't have time to look at it. You know, they have so many applications. They look at it on an average of seven minutes per application anyway. That's a systemic issue. From a value-based issue, having a portfolio of impact is no different than when you go out looking for a job and you have evidence of the impact that you have. Your CV is the impact that you have had. You will bring, if you are, say, a coder, your GitHub account has your portfolio of activity and you are also able to show your work and to a large extent the impact that you have had based on the code that you have written that's being used by other coders. So high school students should have the same thing, a portfolio of activities, performances, and products, and a measure of the impact that, that it has had, because that is a much more accurate picture of capacity and capability than a score in algebra, because you have gone out and made a difference to yourself, to others, and the world, which is exactly what universities seek from their graduates to go out and have an impact in the companies, in the private sector, in the public sector, whatever it might be that reflects well on the universities. Thank you so much for listening. This was our pilot episode. There were a few wrinkles, I'm sure, in terms of technical production, in terms of, of uh, everything else that goes along with a pilot episode. But I welcome you to please continue listening. Please go on Coconut Thinking. Um, the website is www.coconut-thinking.design. And on the site, you will read blog articles, thinking pieces from my wife, Charlotte Hankin, and me, Dr. Benjamin Freud, as well as videos and resources and a bunch of stuff that we have put together to add to the, con to the conversation. Thank you very much for listening. We look forward to um, having you listen again very shortly in another podcast. And just to let you know, the format may be me talking or Charlotte or me speaking with Charlotte or leading educators who are innovative and think changing the way we think about education moving forward. We will make sure to have these wonderful guests on the show to add to the conversation. Thank you very much for listening. It's Benjamin Freud and looking forward to another episode of the Meaningful Learning Podcast by Coconut Thinking.